You probably heard that uh, heart disease really did not occur as a significant disease in America until the mid 1800s. You know, it's only a modern disease. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, you may have heard that for you know thousands of years, I believe, people have known that uh, folks with narrowed heart arteries they get chest pain after meals. You know, that's that's one of the common things taught to us doctors. And what we're taught is that it's because there's the blood flows to the intestine and robs the heart of a blood supply. But that's not what happens. What happens is by eating the high-fat American diet, you drop the oxygen tension in the blood by 20%. And you cause spasms in the arteries, and you cause sludging of the blood, and you induce chest pain in people with narrowed heart arteries, that we call angina. This is the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast, and I'm your host, Maya Acosta. If you're willing to go with me, together we can discover how simple lifestyle choices can help improve our quality of life and increase our longevity in a good way. Let's get started. Friends, Riz and I will be at Caprock Canyon State Park in Trailway today. Caprock Canyon State Park and Trailway is a captivating natural wonder in the Texas Panhandle, renowned for its stunning red rock formations and rugged terrain. This unique park is not only a haven for outdoor enthusiasts, but also a sanctuary for bison, preserving one of the last remaining herds of the Southern Plains bison. We will share highlights next week when we return from our trip. In the meantime, you can check out our social media to see the photos that we will be posting real time. So my handle is at Healthy Lifestyle Solutions. And Dr. Riz is Dr. Underscore Riz Underscore Bukhari. For today's episode, we thought we would share an oldie but goodie episode with my plant-based hero, Dr. John McDougall. I found his book, The Start Solution, several years ago at our local Whole Foods. This book changed my life. This month, I am celebrating five years as a podcaster, and Dr. McDougall came on my podcast very early on. His is episode 19. Can you believe that he said yes to us when we were first starting off? In this insightful interview recorded in late 2019, just before he was set to receive the prestigious Lifetime Achievement Award from the late Hans Deal, Dr. John McDougall passionately discusses the need for a shift towards a starch-based diet to address not only personal health issues, but also the global environmental crisis. He highlights the challenge of overcoming societal blindness to the negative impact of the meat and dairy industry and its role in greenhouse gas emissions. Dr. McDougall also shares his thoughts on the documentaries like The Game Changers and his ongoing commitment to promoting plant-based lifestyles. Join us as we explore these critical topics and gain a fresh perspective on the profound connection between our dietary choices and the fate of our planet. Let's listen in. Thank you. Thank you. Very nice. Really nice to uh, talk to people who are uh, enthused about making a difference in people's lives. And um, I'm happy that you consider me worthwhile in terms of giving you some of uh, my experiences over the last, probably, well, last 50 years. I've been in medicine since uh, 1968, wow. so 51 years. Mm -hmm. And doing this kind of medicine for 40 years, uh, more than 40 years uh, and when I, when I say this kind of medicine, I mean uh, I approach patients' problems from the point of view of diet, 
because at least 80% of the problems that people suffer from in developed countries like the United States are due to what they eat, at least 80%. And uh, so all my uh, uh, efforts over the last, say, 40 years since I discovered this, and we'll go into how I discovered it in a minute, have been to try and figure out ways to get people to uh, understand and then to make a choice to adhere to a diet that will reverse their diseases and give them control of their health. So that's, that's been my effort, and it's gone from uh, teaching people in a general office setting to community settings to uh, actually a live-in program I've been running for, gee whiz, I ran it for 16 years at a hospital, and I've run it now for 17 years at a spa. So I've had the opportunity to really run an ideal type of uh, teaching situation for quite a while. And that is a situation where we can lock people up, we can feed them healthy food, and we can give them an intensive education. And uh, that's the ideal way to help people. The way I got started in this is I was a very frustrated medical student. Um, you know, I really couldn't see myself helping people, to tell you the truth. And I, of course, took it personally. And uh, in my senior medical uh, year, I was introduced to a, uh, my first mentor. His name was Dennis Birkin. And he was a surgeon from Edinburgh, Scotland. And he and some of his friends went to Uganda and worked for, well, he worked there for 17 years. That's in Africa. And they eat in Africa in this community of diets similar to what I eat. I recommend and I eat myself. And that's a diet based on starches, various kinds of potatoes, corn, other grains, and so on. And uh, what they found, what he found, and he became the head of Ministries of Health, is he found during his 17 years of head of Ministries of Health and overseeing 1,000 hospitals, which meant 10 million people, he found that these people had no hemorrhoids, no colon cancer, no deep vein thrombosis, no coronary artery disease. He found one heart attack, and that was in a judge that trained in London and came back and had a heart attack. Hmm. Otherwise, he found no heart attacks in 17 years of taking care of overseeing, you know, thousands of doctors, over a thousand hospitals, and 10 million people. No, no breast cancer, no multiple sclerosis, no rheumatoid arthritis. So this man came to my hospital, which happened to be in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and opened my eyes. And uh, from there, it went to an experience I had working on a sugar plantation in Hawaii. Uh, that's where I went after medical school, to work on the sugar plantation. Well, actually, I went from medical school to an internship in Honolulu. And then from there, falling in love with Hawaii, I decided uh, to stay, and there was a job open on the Big Island where I was a sugar plantation doctor, and that really changed my life. I pretty much learned everything I know now during this experience that occurred between 1973 and 1976. Uh, I was taking care of 5,000 people that were quite diverse in population and uh, practices. Uh, these were people that were originally from the Philippines, Japan, China, and Korea. Uh, when I say the originally, I'm talking about the grandmas and the grandpas that I took care of. Mm -hmm. uh, they came to Hawaii to start a new life, and they had their children, and then they had their grandchildren, etc. 
And so I had these uh, three generations or four generations sometimes of uh, families who had the same genetic material, so they inherited the same things, who lived in the same environment except for one thing. And that is the people who were from the Philippines, Japan, and China originally learned a diet of rice and vegetables, which they brought with them when they migrated to Hawaii. And they maintained their diet, and they maintained their good health. Their kids, of course, learned more of the Western diet, and they got fatter and sicker. So right in front of me, I saw this. And uh, that's how I learned that what we were eating was killing us. Now, of course, I had my own health problems. Uh, because I eat the rich American diet with enthusiasm. And that kind of gave me the right to talk to people about what rich food can do. Um, I used to weigh 90 pounds more than I weigh now. Wow. Uh, I had a major stroke when I was 18. I had uh, abdominal problems, all kinds of things. I would have been dead probably when I was 30, or at least have had major uh, vascular surgery by the time I was 30. It's not unusual for somebody to have a, a heart attack or bypass surgery at 30, is it? You know, it's crazy. Uh, when I started, uh, I've been in practice a little over 20 years. Uh, back in the late 90s, you know, our average patients were late 50s, 60s, 70s. Uh, and now here we are uh, 20 plus years later, and I'm seeing patients present in their 30s and 40s. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's coming at a younger age. Yeah. Well, you know, I ate the American diet with enthusiasm when I was a young, young man, a child. And as a result, I had something that back then only occurred in one in a thousand uh, uh, children, and that is I had a massive stroke at 18. And it was due to closure of uh, the lacunar artery in the brain, which you all know uh, what that artery is. And so I got complete paralysis to the left side of my body, yeah, which right. now, still for 54 years later, I you know, have effects. I walk with a you know, significant limp, et cetera. But, you know, I didn't die. Uh, I was in the plantation. I learned a different way of eating. I saw before me that people who lived on rice and vegetables as opposed to their kids and grandkids who were learning the American diet of meat and dairy, uh, the difference in health was drastic. Mm -hmm. uh, so I at least knew you could prevent disease by the time I finished my three years as a plantation doctor on the Big Island of Hawaii. And then I uh, uh, went back into training to become a good doctor because uh, not many of my patients were getting well, as any doctor knows who treats chronic disease. Yep. The pills and potions really don't solve the problem. Right. Uh, you gotta fix the problem, which is the food. So it was uh, you know, quite frustrating for me, but I went back into training to become a more educated doctor. And I became a board-certified internist. Uh, at that time, which was uh, between 1976 and 1978, I developed a passion for the scientific literature. And I had the fortune of having the Hawaii Medical Library right at the hospital where I was uh, working. And so every spare minute I spent in the library reading scientific studies, and I found out that, you know, I didn't discover this. I didn't discover the fact that eating rich food makes people fat and sick, just like the kings and queens of old. Now, I didn't discover the fact that if you, uh, if you feed people a, a diet high in starch, in other words, potatoes, rice, corn, that they get better from these dietary diseases or in populations worldwide, and we're talking about billions of people who live on such diets of rice and vegetables and so on, are um, thin and healthy and hardworking and warlike people. And I'll give you some examples. Uh, 
people of Central America, the Aztecs and the Mayans. They're known as the people of the corn. For 1,300 years, they had civilizations that, that thrived, you know, having children, wars, athletic events, you know, et cetera, living basically on corn. Mm-hmm. Or if you go a little further south to South America, to the Andes, you find the Incas. And the Incas lived on potatoes, except for the, when they went to war and then they changed to quinoa because it was easier to carry. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you think about the Far East, people think about rice. Up until 1980, the Chinese had a diet that was uh, essentially 90% rice. 90% rice, white rice. And that should tell you something. I mean, white rice isn't the ideal as brown rice, but it's not a deal breaker when you have uh, 2 billion people thriving on a diet based on white rice. Um, so uh, you can think of examples if you're a traveler or if you're a historian, or you can think of experiences in your life that uh, tell you that folks who live on diets based on starch, starches are like corn and rice and beans and potatoes and sweet potatoes, they're not things like kale and lettuce and broccoli and cauliflower. These I call green and yellow vegetables. They're just part of your diet, along with a little fruit. It's mainly starch. About 80, 90% of your diet should be starch. Just to complete the story, you know, after my uh, uh, residency program, and I became a board-certified internist. I went out to practice. Uh, unfortunately, for the next few years, I had to chase ambulances to put uh, shoes on the kids. So I had to practice, you know, some standard medicine that I'd learned. And uh, finally, in 1980, let's see, about 1986, 85, I really gave up practicing standard medicine. I started practicing only dietary approaches to problems. We started a program in California in 1986, where uh, it was at a hospital, same in a hospital, we took care of oh, probably two, 3,000 people over the next 16 years and had tremendous success. And now we run the program in Santa Rosa, California at a luxury spa. We take care of people uh, that come privately. We actually run six programs a year for the public. And then we take care of businesses, for example, CenturyLink Telecommunications. We're running a program right now for them. We take care of employees of Whole Foods. We've taken care of the employees of Blue Cross Blue Shield in the past. So, you know, employers are interested, very much interested in uh, keeping their employees healthy for obvious reasons. And that is that healthcare costs are terrible. And having sick employees is not good for your business. These days, uh, I do a lot of writing. I work on legislation. Uh, I am the ultimate overseer of the McDougal program, which is in Santa Rosa, California, actively seeing people. And if you're very serious about wanting to get your health back, I encourage you to uh, take that step. But, you know, you may be an independent learner and you may not need any help. And you could go to my website, Dr. McDougal, it's drmcdougal.com. And uh, everything's there free, 600 different recipes and there are instructions on how to do the program and lectures, and you'll be amazed. In fact, uh, that was one of the comments both of you made is how uh, you can go to the website and you can download educational videos for free. Yes. That is amazing, yeah. It is amazing. Well, you know, Mary and I had uh, the great fortune of uh, learning excellent health, how to have excellent health 
almost a half a century ago. And we have. Uh, I'm 72. She's 73 years old. And we're, we're doing We're functioning at a very high level. It, it worked out well for us. And we're very thankful that we learned this uh, because, uh, you know, I was headed personally <laughs> for a very dismal future in my personal health. And uh, kind of, you know, we felt obligated to share this with other people. Uh, doing it free may be the right way. I don't know. People respond to money. Yeah. Uh, there is great value. Yeah, it's it's good to put the information out there uh, for those who want it. But sometimes yeah. people feel it's more important if they paid for right, it. Right, right. So we should, we should charge, but you can get everything you need basically free on the website. Working with a responsible healthcare person uh, to get get you off your medications, uh, to uh, you know make necessary adjustments. You know that 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 most people need. Uh, but again, we run a, a live-in program. We run all kinds of uh, different programs where we can spend more time with the people and give them more information and experiences themselves. Uh, the nice thing about the uh, 10-day and programs that we run in Santa Rosa, California, are that people really get the experience. You know, they're captive. Uh, we feed them really great meals, and uh, they're amazed at how good they they taste. We give them adequate spicing, give them a little bit of salt, give them a little bit of sugar. And, uh, you know, they find that, you know, within two or three days, they're feeling great. Uh, within about you know, two or three days, we have them off most of the medication. So this is an experience, an intense experience that, uh, you know, occasionally people want. And we're there to provide it. But hey, the website, drmatrical.com, it's all there. Your 10-day living program includes great meals, lectures, social opportunities, and a psychologist? We do, but our psychologist is different than other psychologists. He's the best psychologist in the world, Doug Lyle. Mm -hmm. And uh, he teaches you basic principles of the way the human being works and why we're kind of trapped into the way we behave. See, he calls it the pleasure trap. Yeah. So, yeah, we have an educational program, but it's not the traditional, oh, you need to think good thoughts or uh, lay down on this couch and we'll make you better. Uh, it's more like, you know, that's the way people are. Understand natural human behaviors and then take the important steps. You know, uh, they get to a point after a few days where they really realize the food is good mm-hmm. and that they really don't need the medication. They see their numbers changing. We found that we can get uh, about 90% of people off all of their medication or reduce their medication to a, a reasonable level in a period of uh, actually about seven days. Isn't that amazing? The, the time frame, does it? It still blows me away to, to understand that in just a matter of a few days to a couple of weeks, uh, these changes can occur. Right. Well, you know, let, you know, let me give you some time frames. Uh, I tell people within 24 to 48 hours, they won't have any more indigestion. They won't have any more constipation. The oily skins start to disappear. They start feeling better. Uh, we see drops in blood pressure within about, you know, first or second day, tremendous drops. Same thing with blood sugars, tremendous drops. In fact, when somebody comes in with diabetes, I have to reduce their medication immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, with type 2 diabetes, I most often take them off all their insulin and all their diabetic pills. With type 1, I have to cut their insulin by about a third because the new food makes insulin work more efficiently, et cetera. And they have low blood sugars unless I cut their insulin down. So I do that with type 1s. 
uh, patients with uh, inflammatory diseases like ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, etc. Uh, well, the arthritis is usually start to get better in about four to seven days. Uh, the some of the arthritis is, takes a little bit longer. Those classified as lupus, I find to take a little bit longer to improve than say rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, bowel diseases may take mm, four, three four months to get better. But the healing is really rapid. Let me ask you as a vascular surgeon, how long it takes people to heal? I mean, if you take and slice somebody up, which you probably do every day, mm -hmm. how long does it take before their wounds heal? How long does it take before, even if a broken bone's involved, how long does it take before the wound and the broken bone are healed? Right. It's, uh, you know, for incisions, seven to 10 days. Yeah, uh, broken bones a few weeks, you know, a few weeks, maybe three months, maybe four months. So, you know, if, if a program really works, if it really addresses the problem, you shouldn't have to believe that it's going to work for the next 10 years and buy into a bunch of supplements and to a bunch of doctor visits uh, that have not done you any good. Mm -hmm. You know, I give it four months uh, at most. And, uh, most of the people have recovered within four months. Now, there are a lot of problems uh, that people have that are chronic. And, for example, arthritis patients may have bent fingers. They're not going to straighten out by eating potatoes. Mm -hmm. So you have to be realistic as to what you're going to get. But it's phenomenal and, uh, and how rapidly people get well. In your field, doctor, uh, what uh, Dr. Ornish showed, in fact, he didn't show it first, uh, Dr. Peter Kuo showed it before that, and uh, several other physicians showed it before that. Matter of fact, you can find those scientific papers by Dr. Williams, et cetera, on my website. It's, uh, they're part of the course, which I know you've taken. It's part of the course. I, I, I bring in all their basic research that they did in the 50s and 60s, where they showed by changing people the kind of diet that I teach, which we should get into in a minute. Uh, they they showed that you could get not between ninety and hundred percent relief of angina, chest pain, in people with severe coronary artery disease within uh, three weeks. Yeah, and uh, in one of the studies by uh, Peter Quo, what he did was he attached people to an EKG machine, and he fed them uh, high fat meals versus uh, meals that were low fat and high carbohydrates, same volume, same number of calories. And he found that the high fat meals precipitated chest pain within the next few minutes of eating them. Mm -hmm. and, uh, at, and he also did EKG at the same time and found ST depressions that occurred with the pain. So he realized back there, and this is work done in the 50s and 60s, he realized that you could reverse ischemic changes in the heart muscle in a very short period of time, or you can induce them by feeding a high-fat diet. And what do Americans do is they eat this high-fat diet three, four times a day. But again, going back to your field of cardiovascular medicine, you probably heard that heart disease really did not occur as a significant disease in America until the mid-1800s. You know, it's only a modern disease. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, you may have heard that for you know thousands of years, I believe, people have known that uh, folks with narrowed heart arteries they get chest pain after meals. You know that's that's one of the common things taught to us doctors. Postprandial angina. Yes. Yeah, and what we're taught is that it's because there's the blood flows to the intestine and robs the heart of a blood supply. 
But that's not what happens. What happens is by eating the high-fat American diet, you drop the oxygen tension in the blood by 20%, and you cause spasms in the arteries, and you cause sludging of the blood, and you induce chest pain in people with narrowed heart arteries that we call angina. So uh, anyway, we've known about this for a long time. The problem, of course, is uh, the same problem of all of human beings, and that is we're motivated by money. Mm-hmm. And there's very little money uh, in teaching people to do the right things. Right. There's a lot of money in doing vascular surgery and giving out pills and so on. And we have uh, a healthcare system in the United States where it's the only gra- growing segment of our economy, and we're supporting that by borrowing money from China. I just want to make sure that I, folks understand the diet that I teach. Yes. Uh, and I will be, you know, real basic about it. You, you can describe the McDougal program, the McDougal diet, two sentences. One is uh, the McDougal diet is a starch-based diet with the addition of fresh fruits and vegetables. Or they can be frozen, fruits and vegetables. The McDougal diet does not contain any animal products and any free oils. Okay. So animal products could be anything. It could be frog legs. They could be, you know, pig's ears, et cetera. Uh, no animal products in the diet. And uh, as far as free oils are concerned, these would be things like olive oil, corn oil, safflower oil. There's, all, there's oil in the food naturally, like in oranges and potatoes and rice and so on. So uh, you add uh, no free oils. Those would be oils that, you know, come in a bottle usually uh, to the diet. And instead, you base your diet on starch, and that would be rice, corn, potatoes, pasta, breads, and so on, things that you love. You naturally love these things. When you look at your plate, you should see about 90% of it's starch. And what is wrong with free oils, including olive oil? Well, oil is uh, not natural. Uh, oil, oil, oil does not occur anywhere in nature. Uh, it always has to be processed from a food. And what you do is you take, for example, you just press olives and you separate the oil from all the other ingredients. And of course, the more refining you do, the more separation you have. Uh, You you separate the oil from the vitamins, minerals, other phytoplant chemicals. Uh, These chemicals, vitamins, minerals, et cetera, are necessary for the proper metabolism of the oil. If you eat the oil, in other words, you take all the oil out of the orange, and you leave all the pulp, all the vitamins, minerals, everything else behind, and you're no longer eating a food. You're eating an isolated, concentrated nutrient. And it happens to be the most concentrated in calories, so it's going to be fattening. The mantra you ought to carry around in your head is the fat you eat is the fat you wear. And there's no more concentrated fat than free fat. So that would be olive oil, corn oil, etc. Uh, also, we know that these oils uh, are very strong as far as their medicinal properties or toxic properties. Uh, at, most, at most, they're medicinal. Uh, the oils will suppress the immune system, help a bit with arthritis. Uh, the oils do things that you know vascular surgeons are happy about, and that is that they thin the blood, the omega-3 fats. But you know, these are drugs, and so they have adverse effects. For example, when you give an omega-3 fat to thin the blood to reduce the risk of a clot forming in the, in the blood vessels, uh, you also increase the risk of bleeding and bleeding to death. Uh, when you suppress the immune system with oils, 
you suppress the entire immune system. You don't just relieve the arthritis, you know, as far as pain relief goes. You suppress the immune system and fights infection. So you have a higher risk of getting the flu or other infections. Because uh, these uh, uh, vegetable oils, uh, they suppress the immune system. They also allow cancer to grow much faster. So, uh, you know, they're drugs at best, and they're serious poisons at worst. So we, we don't recommend free oils. It's very, very easy for people to get away from oil. And once you do, as you folks have, it, it's, it's so repulsive. It it's, you know, becomes very hard to eat out. Almost everybody puts oil in their food, but you'll learn. There's ways to do it. Uh, we have techniques. In fact, they're free in a lecture that my wife gives on the website on how to eat out. Uh, so, you know, you can make the kind of changes that we recommend and still live a normal life. Some people avoid rice because of small amounts of arsenic. What do you think about that? I know. That's it. You know, if they would erase the panic about the contamination in cows and pigs, which, of yeah. course, are the highest on the food chain, and they're often a thousand times more concentrated in environmental poisons than the plants that they eat, you know, that, that of course, would uh, not be popular. They like to hear good news about their bad habits is what they like to hear. Uh, so, you know, since most Americans don't eat rice, it came up pretty well, the idea that rice might be a, a problem. Uh, this was first brought out in Consumers Reports. And they had, by the way, published an article that showed uh, more arsenic in fruit juice the year before. Uh, the arsenic that occurs in rice is because uh, rice is grown in poisoned soils. Uh, for example, in Louisiana. They grew cotton, and they had boll weevils, and they killed the boll weevils by spraying arsenic. Hmm. And the arsenic got in the soil, and then they grow rice on the same fields, and the rice picks up the arsenic. So you just need rice grown on clean soil. So that's, of course, the problem to find that. But uh, even though that's been of concern, I mean, I don't, have not seen arsenic poisoning, but I've certainly seen meat poisoning and cheese poisoning. <laughs> The other thing you ought to realize is that uh, there is a focus on uh, people who want to eat a healthier diet and them really eating a diet that they call a nutritarian diet, a diet that's really high in green and yellow vegetables, particularly things like kale and broccoli and cauliflower, et cetera. Well, these kind of plants are what we call hyperaccumulators. And uh, what that means is they... Uh, are really efficient at accumulating substances from the soil. And these substances would be th things like selenium and cesium and other poisons. So, you know, if you have dirty soils, uh, uh, these plants will pick up whatever's in them. Right. And you must understand that some of the worst offenders are your cruciferous plants as far as getting toxic chemicals in the system. Fortunately, the human body is pretty tough. And as I say, I've never seen arsenic poisoning or lead poisoning or cesium poisoning. So I kind of focus on what the real problem is and the idea that, you know, arsenic shouldn't be in the rice. But, you know, that's not where you need to focus your attention. Yeah, we see more problems with mercury poisoning from fish. And we see yes. uh, uh, sure. early onset uh, puberty and menarche from the hormones in our meats and dairy. Uh, but people aren't condemning those products are they no they're not and that's a problem with human nature is that it's real hard for people to look beyond their own dinner table 
and most Americans eat, uh, you know, meat and cheese, et cetera. And they, uh, they don't like vegetables or the vegetables are fixed improperly. And that's the reason they don't like them. So they really can't see, uh, what the problems are, what their problems are, what their community's problems are, what our country's problems are, what the world's problems are. They just can't see it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, this is not only a real problem for them because they may be dying and certainly they're not living an ideal life because they're being poisoned by their food. But most importantly, right now, these days, this blindness is putting us in a precarious situation where we have an environmental emergency. Yes. People do not see it. And uh, we're at a point now where we may be at a point of no return. And even our politicians uh, during our democratic uh, national conventions, uh, they talk about the environment, they talk about the new green deal, but they don't talk about the fact that the livestock industry creates at least half of the greenhouse gases out there. And predictions have been if people would change to the kind of diet that we're trying to get them to eat, a diet based on starch, then we could reduce global warming gases almost overnight by 50 to 70%. Mm -hmm. So this blindness is a very concern to me these days because I have, you know, three children, seven grandchildren. And the most powerful step that we can make in giving us time on planet Earth is to switch to a starch-based diet. And then we can all buy Teslas, and we can all put the solar panels on our roofs, which we have to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not trying to minimize the importance of this or getting rid of fossil fuel, but, you know, the food is something that everybody can do individually. And they could do it overnight, and it could become a world posse if our leaders would stand up. If Prime Minister Modi from India... If Mr. Putin from Russia, if Mr. Trump from the United States, if President Obama from the United States, you know, if all our world leaders would stand up and say, hey, folks, the meat and dairy industry have been lying to you, and the reason you're fat and sick and you're dying is because of the food industry, and we can change global warming and our trend towards killing our entire planet overnight by switching to a starch-based diet, hey, you'd see some changes overnight. Right. Yep. No, I mean, I think there are four million kids out in the street. They're asking to save the world for their future. I mean, those kids would change overnight and become a social disgrace to eat the foods that are killing the planet. Um, you can obviously tell where I get excited these yeah. days. How effective do you think documentaries are, such as The Game Changers? So I saw it. Uh, you know, I, I, of course, know many of the people who are involved in that film. And uh, I think they did a good job. Uh, particularly the segment on male potency. Mm -hmm. That was a, quite stimulating. I, <laughs> I, that's that's going to change a lot of people's ways of thinking. Yes. Uh, however, you know, I, I know Mr. Cameron, and uh, uh, the subject he took up in the Game Changers was mainly one of athletic prowess, of strength. And uh, I would have liked to have seen him with all of his talents focus more on the seriousness of the problem uh, and the devastation it's causing to the world and to people and the simple solutions. But, you know, he chose to do it this way, and that'll make a big impression on a lot of people. But there needs to be a documentary that says it more strongly, like Forks Over Knife, which was quite good. Uh, 
Yeah. The other ones you mentioned were quite good. But, you know, there really has not been a documentary produced that is uh, uh, pointed enough to get people to really, really understand what's going on, really understand how to solve the problems in their personal life and their community. And as I say, again, the planet. Right. So I'm waiting for that documentary. But go see Game Changers. You'll yeah. love it. What I like about that is I think it's going to appeal to our younger crowd and, uh, and get them now to start thinking about a plant-based uh, diet. Because uh, our younger people, they, uh, they admire athletes and they, they idolize them and they want to uh, be like them. So I'm hoping that uh, it'll make a significant impact on the, on the uh, younger people. Retirement for you doesn't mean slowing down. Yeah, 33 trips in the last, uh, say, 20 years. We've taken people to the Galapagos, to Panama, to Costa Rica, down the Amazon, and they're all called McDougal Adventure Trips. We've kind of taken a break. I still oversee the clinic. Mm -hmm. I have uh, uh, other doctors working with me that I've trained, Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm involved in legislation which I've been involved in in the past. I have laws passed on breast cancer and on educating doctors about nutrition. So I'm doing more of that. I'm working with legislators and I'm also giving lectures. I would have to say retirement for me only meant that after seeing 10,000 patients personally, touching them, talking to them over 50 years, which by the way is the greatest enjoyment in medicine is just and you, 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 if, you're, if you're really a doctor and you're really involved in your practice, no patient is ever boring. They're all interesting. And I've had 10,000 people that have entertained me for the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, just, I just stopped doing that personally. I have other physicians doing that, but I supervise everything that goes around, along. So that's uh, all that retirement meant for me. I'm working as hard as I ever did. And Mary has worked side by side with me since uh, we met about 48 years ago. We spend uh, probably no more time together than we have in the past. We've had the great fortune of spending almost all day and all night together for the last uh, 48 years. But we do things a little bit differently now. After all, you know, we're supposed to be retired at our age. Well, your webinars, the work in legislation that you're doing, and speaking on the environment, those still keep you busy, don't I'm they? I'm quite active. I still, I, I still work, you know, as my son says, my son is a professor at OHSU in medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, Dad, he says, you're never, never going to be able to quit working, are you? And he, he says it with the idea, like, somehow I should quit work. Well, what else do I have to do? You are living your passion, which is helping people and the planet. Well, it's my whole life, and I get great enjoyment out of helping people, as any, any, anybody else does. I mean, the true pleasures in life are help, helping other people. And being a doctor puts you in a position, or a teacher like you are, puts you in a position where you can see how your efforts make such positive difference in other people's lives. And, oh, the reward for me is tremendous, just like it is for teachers and should be for doctors. Unfortunately, most doctors have tools that are ineffective and actually harmful mm-hmm. in terms of the practice of medicine. And that's, you know, that's what the data shows. <laughs> Let's face it, we're doing a tremendous amount of harm. Well, I think our, our acute care model doesn't apply to this current world. And we're still right. practicing a form of medicine that came about, you know, hundreds of years ago or 150 years ago. And we need to change that. Uh, 
But you know, along along the lines of you spending a lifetime doing this work, we wanted to congratulate you on the Lifetime Achievement Award that you got from uh, ACLM. That's coming up in just a, a few days. Uh, yes. Yeah, I got uh, the Lifetime Achievement Award from American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and that's great. We'll be going to the meeting, and um, you're going to be going good. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to go, but it should, it should go well. I had uh, a lot to do with the foundation of that organization. They've done a lot of good, tremendous amount of good. So we will see you there in the end of October. Well, Riz will be sitting for his board exam at the Lifestyle Medicine Conference. We're eager to implement these ideas in our practice and within the community. And it's also meaningful to us that you played such a huge role in this field. Oh. Well, thank you. It's been uh, <laughs> You know, it's been lifetime enjoyment for me. Well, Dr. McDougall, uh, we want to thank you so much for spending uh, over an hour with us. Uh, uh, it's very kind of you. I know that you are probably asked to do these kind of things all the time. So uh, uh, thank you again. Uh, it's an opportunity, a privilege to share what I know. We have a, we have a world change. It's well worth saving. And uh, any time we have an op- I have an opportunity to get involved with folks like you who are uh, willing and passionate, able to get out to the community. You know, it's, it's a great time for me. It's, we have to, we have to do this as a uh, worldwide movement. Mm. Yeah. And, and again, uh, I, I, I tell you, I, I admire you guys as the pioneers who continue to, to, to preach this message. And even in times when, you know, no one, it, seemingly no one was listening. And uh, it's good to see that there's a momentum going on now and uh, something's happening and uh, it's already exciting. Well, I see changes occurring. So I have some optimism. But, uh, you know, I've also been at this for, you know, over 40 years mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, dedication to do dietary change. And I have to tell you that, uh, the progress has been marked by just as much regression in terms of uh, diets, particularly in terms of spread of the rich Western diet to uh, third world countries. Mm-hmm. You know, now we have China and India mm-hmm. where the people are eating just like Americans. Yes. And uh, so we're compounding the problem. And uh, even though more of us know what the truth is, uh, there are also more people brought, being brought into the fold of the livestock industry. Yeah, and uh, they have the money, they have the tools to educate. It's it's a tough battle, but hey, I'm optimistic. Are you aware of the Masala Research Group out of the Bay Area? No, it's uh, it st- Masala stands for Mediators uh, uh, of Atherosclerosis in South Asians Living in America. Oh, and good. The group is looking at the fact that uh, uh, my ethnic group, South Asians. Uh, has a much higher incidence of uh, diabetes uh, and uh, atherosclerosis than even uh, the standard Americans on the standard American diet. Just the same observations you had uh, in the uh, uh, in Hawaii, when yeah. South Asians come to America and they adopt an American diet, everything changes. It, it seems yeah. to be the th- it's the, obviously what happens to every ethnic group. You know, you have a higher incidence of say people from India, India particularly, but you know, all of all of Asia. Uh, is the, you know they've not been exposed to the Western diet long enough to to naturally select out the weak ones. Once you select out the weak ones uh, out of the gene pool, then you hope to find out that the uh, the Asian etc has you know no more resistance to heart disease or tendency to get heart disease than the white man who's had you know the rich Western diet for a long time. 
Yeah. Well, in India, uh, in just the last 25 years, the incidence of heart disease and diabetes has doubled, and uh, obesity is now epidemic there as well. They eat a, a diet rich in dairy. It is, uh, and also we're uh, very rich in oil. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the they, doubled, they doubled their animal product intake and doubled their oil intake. Well, sir, uh, again, well, thank you again. We'll let you go, uh, yes. and we'll see you. Uh, By the way, my son will be sitting for the boards too. Oh, awesome! So we get to meet him. Oh my goodness! I hear there's going to be 500 people in the room, so I don't know if I'll see him. Well, you'll. I don't. I don't know. 500 people are sitting for the boards. Yes. Yeah, it's the biggest one ever. Wow, that's amazing. Yep. All I know is Tuesday evening, Hans Deal is going to present me an award. Well, Dr. McDougall, it has been a pleasure speaking with you, and we will see you in Orlando. the conference. Come up and say hi, okay? I will, definitely. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. You've been listening to the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast with your host, Maya Acosta. If you've enjoyed this content, please share with one friend who can benefit You can also leave us a five-star review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash HLS. This helps us to spread our message. As always, thank you for being a listener.